Hello, well, this is Blonde Haired Girl. Another one of my late night <laughs> talking, maybe complete nonsense um, podcasts. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about something. Oh, God. Mm, things that like, like, Mm. So, I I got home from my event, and I was pretty blissed out for, mm, I want to say, I don't know, maybe about 20 hours. And then, it just like, it just like crashed. It just, you know, I just, I had this thing happen at work. I I was asked to be in a meeting and I was in this meeting and I perceived something a certain way and I I actually wanted to go talk to my coworker about it because I perceived something and I didn't know if I was perceiving it correctly so I really wanted some clarification and she really didn't want to talk which I guess I could understand given like, I don't know, the tone, like, I don't know, it was just really strange, and then I, I, I get in my car to drive, and I, I just, like, all these familiar feelings just come over me, I'm like, great, wonderful, and, and so I, And I don't know, like, I don't know, I, and, and it's varying degrees, but it is also, you know, like, it's like you're kind of shielded and um, in some ways, like, spoon-fed while you're, like, at the event. And so when you're home from the event and having to feed yourself again, <laughs> um you know, it's like, it's almost as if like when you're at the event, you don't even have time to think, to be honest. Um, and I, but it's like, God dang it. And I, and I was just like, okay, so what is happening here? I mean, it's a combination of things, but it is, it is in addition to all of that, just returning to the normal, returning to the normalcy of my life as it is, which in all actuality, my life is really great. Um, I was, I was really happy when I got home. I, I saw my dog. I, the dog is really not even my dog. The dog is my son's dog, but I just, I love this animal. She, her personality just is so cute. And like last night I was boiling some eggs for my lunches this week. And I, she's just laying in the kitchen right next to me. Like in the middle of the kitchen, like, like, like right next to me. Like I could easily just step on her. 
and she's just, she's just, she's so like, her personality is just so, oh God, she's just sweet. She's the kind of dog that, like, when you take her for a walk and she sees other dogs, she's really good with other dogs. I mean, sometimes she does her little happy dance and she's, like, doing these zoomies. She's going in circles. <laughs> I've never seen some of the stuff that my, this dog does in my life. I've never seen another dog do the stuff she does. But I think it's partly because she's a bigger dog. I, I've always... When I was growing up, we had Yorkshire Terriers, actually. Um, and then, um, and then Chihuahuas. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I actually, I love, I loved, there was this dog that I had. So I, I was, I was actually delivering, at the time I was married, and I was delivering my husband's mail to the mailbox at the town I live in currently. And I, I, I backed up because I didn't want to go this straightaway. So I backed up to like turn down this alley. So I like turned down this alley and there's this lady and these, this family carrying these puppies. I'm like, oh God. And, you know, and then I rolled down my window to see them because they're just like the cutest things ever. And then they show me these dogs and I said, well, do you have any girls? And they said, yes. And this little darling little dog emerged from the back. And <laughs> she was, um, she had like really light fur, like really kind of like a yellowy light fur. And, and I was like, you know, Oh, well, what's her name? And, her name is Nina. <laughs> and this dog was like really special because they were telling me that she was the runt of the litter and the mom rejected her and wouldn't feed her. And they had lost other runts before. So they, they, um, they took her to a nursing Labrador. So my dog was nursed by a Labrador, <laughs> my little chihuahua. <laughs> which may explain her little her nature but she oh my gosh this dog just captured my life I just like my heart I just loved her so much this dog um I have like a gazillion pictures of this dog but um, at the time, my husband had a chihuahua, uh, chihuahua and, and, and my dog, Nina, was not pure, a purebred chihuahua. She was like uh, um, a mix. They said she was paired Pomeranian. But some people like used to tell me, oh, no, she's like half corgi. And I'm like, this dog is not half corgi. But she and she was really... <laughs> <laughs> she was really round like so she was disproportionately round and so people were always like calling her fat and it bothered me so much <laughs> like she's not fat it's just her per her body like like bugger off like what do you care <laughs> the size of my dog um but anyway but 
but that but his dog, my husband's dog, was pure Chihuahua. And the two of them were like, as you can imagine, little I got my dog um a spade as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, really glad that I never witnessed that. But my kids said that they um, walked in on them at a time. Anyway, it's like, oh, God, I don't want to know about that. Um, <laughs> but they were they were very, very close. I, I God, I'm going to tell you this story just because I'm on this on this roll. And it was oh. so one day I'm. I'm I'm in the living room. I don't remember what I was doing. It doesn't matter. And I, oh no, I remember it. I was upstairs on my computer and we lived in the forest. I mean, it wasn't like a cabin, like out in the middle of nowhere, but it was um, a forested area where like wildlife. And um, one day I heard my husband make a sound that I had never heard him make before. And I knew it was bad and I knew it was one of the dogs. And I, I reluctantly came down and, um, and, and then he had to tell me, um, that his dog had been taken by coyotes. He said he saw the coyotes and, I don't know if he, he may not have told me the whole truth because maybe he just didn't want to upset me, but, um, so our dog got taken by coyotes and it was devastating. I mean, devastating. We were just so sad. Um, but, and we ended up actually going to this pottery place in the town we live in and we all did this painting on this one plaque and I'm guessing that that plaque still may be where it was for him. Um, he was a, he was a really feisty little, little prince, that one. Um, and I often thought, you know, cause he was about 10, 11. And I thought maybe that would have been the way he would have wanted to go out, which would have been with a bang. I mean, like, you know, that's a pretty, big way for a little dog to just, you know, like gone, you know, but in a massive way, but we were, I remember my sons and I, I don't remember why my, my husband wasn't part of this, but my sons and I were just in this huddle and we were all three crying, like sobbing when we heard the girls weren't there at the time. And we just, I mean, we were just a mess. It was really sad. But anyway, um, getting back to, so then fast forward, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm not living with my husband anymore. And I still have my dog Nina for years. And, but then I, then, God, you know, and I, I, I still, um, I, I, I don't, but I think back on it and I just cannot, I just cannot with the irresponsibility of some people. Like, I just can't. Like, be responsible with your animals. Like, are you serious? Anyway, my son has been going to, or had been going to a day program for years. 
my son is diagnosed autistic. He's he's a pretty high functioning diet person with diet with autism, but he he um so he um but he also but so he had this opportunity to go to this day program. So he goes to the day program one day and then he sends me this picture. No, no, no. He calls me. <laughs> he calls me. He said, Mom, he said, you know, one of the ladies had brought these puppies and I I really like one. You know, basically, can I have a puppy? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. Um, and I'm not good with puppies. I'm just going to say. Um, so I end up... Um, going in and I end up seeing the dog that he likes. This woman brings in an entire litter of puppies to a place with people who like are vulnerable. <laughs> you know, like who does that? I'm going to go take it, you know, to, to my clients who, you know, can't really actually take care of a dog, but <laughs> We're going to, you know, have them fall in love with the dogs. Um, but anyway, and she had like 17 puppies that she had to find homes for. 17, because her male dog had gotten two female dogs pregnant around the same time. And she had two litters of puppies that she had to find homes for. So yours truly was strapped with a <laughs> puppy that I did not want. But I felt like my son had the right to his dog. I'm like, okay, okay, you can have the dog. And of course, the dog became my responsibility. And and honestly, I I had a really hard time because she is half pit bull and half terrier. And so she's incredibly strong and she's incredibly hyper. And, and, and it's like, she's the kind of dog that, that she has not learned not to jump on you. She, I mean, she just, I mean, if you ever watch like videos of pit bulls, they love to like, like kind of hug you or like get on your, your level. They're, they're not happy just, and they're tall enough to be able to do that in a way. <clears throat> but Anyway, this dog literally chewed up every bit of fluff in my life. Like all my seat cushions, no more. Any dog bed I ever bought this dog, she tore up. I mean, it like she's um we figured out she's um 7 now. And she I don't know, she has a a, a literally like it's like this very very thin pad in the kitchen cuz she's She's sequestered to the kitchen when we're not there, which is a pretty big place. And she's good. She's got her water. She's, you know, all is well in the world. But she, oh, she just chewed up everything happy in my life. <laughs> and, um, and so I resented her. I, I mean, I loved her. I didn't want to wish any ill. And I walked her, you know, in times. But in the last four years, I just like have fallen in love with this dog and her personality. And, and, uh, so the first thing I do in the morning is, you know, I, I go down the stairs and I, I take her out 
take her out to go to the bathroom and then and then I feed her and <laughs> and while I'm feeding her I rub her back I like scratch her back and without fail she always turns her head to lick me without fail every time I mean, her love is so unconditional. She is just a lover dog. She's very special. And so I really missed her. And I came in and I'm just last night, you know, for bed. I'm like, I'm just scratching her head. I just love her. <laughs> I love that dog. So, um, Recently, about a month ago, it was a Saturday. I was... um doing my Saturday drill and then all of a sudden I feel this this mass on her on her ear it was about it was about an inch inch long and like a half an inch deep this mass and I'm like I tell my son we got to take her to the vet right now because I didn't know what it was and her ears would itch all the time and I was negligent. I'm just going to, I'm not going to make any excuses for it, but it just wasn't high on my priority list until of course it, it became really bad. And so the only vet that was open was this emergency vet. So I take her in and <laughs> without fail, everyone falls in love with this dog. Everyone, like the vet techs, the people in the lobby, everyone is in love with this dog. But this was the funny part. <laughs> when they would, when they would take her back, because they wouldn't let us go back with her. And so when, when, you know, so there's a, okay. And so she's on the leash. She laid on the floor <laughs> And they were dragging her, dragging her little body <laughs> on the floor to like, to like go to the back of the, into the special room. It was so funny. I'm like, oh, honey, it'll be okay. <laughs> She's just like, it was like, no, I don't want to go with them. I'm not going with you, but there's nothing she could do about it. It was so sad. Oh God. Anyway, so I got to see my dog again. Um, but so, so this was like part of the good part of coming home was, you know, seeing my, my people and, um, but I ended up doing a, um, a FaceTime call with a, f a friend that I had actually met at an event previously because she wanted to know about this event for me. And I, you know, I basically told her, I said, please do not tell anyone about <laughs> some of the stuff I'm going to tell you. Like, don't tell anyone. I said, you can tell your husband, but don't tell anyone else. Um, because I really didn't want it out to the... But we were having this conversation. And, you know, and like stuff is just like... Like, we were having this conversation about, about, like, so, 
so I, I, I'm just going to give an example. Um, I, I followed David Hawkins for many years. I want to say, I want to say about 17 years, 16 years because he, he passed away. And, um, I think I, I got his material. I don't know. I'm not sure. Sometime around, um, 2000, maybe I started, I started reading his material and, and then he passed away in 2007, 16. Actually he passed away. Like this is so bizarre. My friends, I can't, I can't even come up with this stuff. He passed away the same day as my dad, a different year, of course, but the same day of year. I mean, what are the chances? Like one in 264, 364, I mean, I mean, the chances are, are, are pretty weird. It was pretty weird. Um, and I felt like that was like strangely strange destiny, um, on that part. But I, I admired that guy. Uh, He was very, very special to me. Like, um, and I read his works and I studied them. Like, um, so he did this trilogy that had the biggest impact on me. I read his other books, but they didn't impact me like the trilogy. But it was Power versus Force, Eye of the Eye, and I were these three trilogy books. All of his covers were exactly the, like they had like different colors, but they were the same. They were like either yellow and black or black and white. I mean, yellow and white or black and white or blue and white, light blue and white. They were all, um, the covers were really in some ways very uneventful. Um, but when I think that the cover of a book is very important, but that's just my opinion. Um, but anyway, so, um, but I didn't study, um, power versus force. I went straight into eye of the eye and I got to tell you, I had to have a dictionary. This was back before you could Google a word. Um, and I, I had to have a dictionary with me because this guy was using words I had never heard of. And, and, and in some ways it was like a little bit unnerving to like, not even be able to get through a bloody like paragraph without my, my, it's like, what the hell? Um, with with the non vernacular, he did not have an art for that. He just wrote, um, he wrote, you know, in this very, um, so it, it, the guy was really intelligent on top of it all. I mean, like just wildly intelligent. He was a doctor. I'm I'm guessing he was a psychiatrist, but I'm not sure. Um, and he worked in mental health, and he he was really smart, <laughs> but he was really, um, tapped into, tapped into like this idea of consciousness. I didn't always agree with everything that he said. And, but I think that he, because he believed, he believed in this thing called kinesthesiology 
where he felt like he had tapped into this truth meter with this kinesthesiology. And so he would, he would say something and then he would go over to his wife and he would hold his arm out. She would have her hold her arm out and he would see if he could, if she got weak and her hand would go down. Because if she got weak and her hand went down, that meant a no. But if she was able to stay strong, that meant a yes. And, 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 um, he, and so he believed that basically what he was saying was truth, but I'm sitting here saying that the truth, that truth changes all the time. It changes because nobody holds a a level of consciousness people want to talk about these levels and that whole whole thing drives me insane too like it is it's not and he would say that too but he always had like the trap of the levels of consciousness he did but he would say that they were like temperatures on a thermometer like almost as if saying all of them have their purpose and their meaning and it's just the meaning we put on them but he would also say that it that enlightenment and begins somewhere in the in the level of un, uh, of unconditional love like you have to be a minimum of 100 um a level of unconditional love in order to move up the scale of consciousness and and but but like okay so he like he had this entire book the book was completely filled with him doing this kinesthesiology on them and where they were on the scale of consciousness and I'm sorry it lends itself to like these grades you get a a plus 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 and then you get an F minus 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 minus. I mean, I don't know how we can stay in in a place of of objectiveness with this scale that just is almost implicit that it with with some things are better than others. Now with the statement that he would make based on my my study of this guy's work he he would say that um that these factors change but he did this entire book and 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 like basically put all these things in this where they were in this in the state the scale of consciousness and and I'm sitting here going, you know, it's 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 almost equivalent in a way to like a tarot card reading in a way. Like the factors change, are constantly changing. That book, the second that he did that kinesthesiology on that particular subject, you know, a minuscule of a second later, it would be different. Because nobody is stagnant. Nobody, like, I don't even, like, 
nobody just is on a scale of 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 consciousness and just stays there to eternity. Okay, so if you're going to like like do this like say the master Jesus. Okay, one of the masters that, you know, supposedly because some people don't believe Jesus ever lived, he's just a figurehead that people came up with to control the masses. Okay, but let's just consider that maybe he did live and and he you know, there were times where he was angry, which is, which is, he had anger, he had sorrow, he had despair, different times in the, in the Bible, the, the stories. And so what, so what, he wasn't enlightened? If, if he was moving around in this scale of, of consciousness, so I think that the goal is to is to stay in the higher realms for which and I do believe that they have a different outcome. He would say they have a different outcome. David Hawkins would say, I believe based on my that they would have a different outcome. So if you are living in a state of he would actually say neutrality, you're doing better than somebody who is in a state of hate. So neutrality is better than hate. And so your outcome with neutrality is you're going to have a better life. And, and you're, you're just going to be doing better if you are at least in a neutral state rather than down here in, you know, that which is like in despair. I don't have the scale right in front of me. I, um, I never like learned it verbatim but and here was another thing that there were like he had these limiting beliefs he really did like he would say that that most people aren't going to move around that much like as a generality like enlightenment is rare is what he would say he said even the amount of people who seek enlightenment is rare okay and you must be in a state of unconditional love in order to reach in higher states of, of enlightenment. And I was sitting there and I just, I just felt excluded from this party. This was, a, this was an exclusive party for the few. And so in my mind, you know, your Buddhist monk over there in Tibet has the best bet of this. Because I'm willing to admit that I, I don't know that I'm like, like, honestly, do I really love unconditionally? I mean, I had to like question, I had to look at myself objectively and say, do I love unconditionally? And so I practiced. I was like, I was like mindful about it. I was like, I could feel, I could, you know, as the years went on, I could like feel, I could feel when I was feeling loving and I could feel when I wasn't feeling loving. And I, you know, and I said, okay, and tweak this, tweak this, tweak this, tweak this. I, I would just like work on it. I would, I would, you know, I, 
I was a seeker of enlightenment. Okay, so so basically what my friend and I were talking about was, was how does a person who is is a leader in this field, a person such as David Hawkins, okay, how does he like present himself to the world? And like, does he, does he, um, you know, talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, like Mama Todd always says, she always says that the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, does he, does he share his, his struggles? Like, I don't, I don't believe I like read anything in, in his material. Like he, as I loved this person dearly and still do. I mean, he, you know, but he's on the other side. I can't see him. Um, but he presented as somebody who was enlightened He did. He, he, he was, he presented as somebody who had, was a mass, he had mastered this stuff. And so, and so he wasn't about to like, he didn't talk about, you know, that I go through like what I'm talking about, like, okay, so I go to this event, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling euphoric. And then I come home and I have this, like, basically in some ways a crash landing. I crash into an actual wonderful life, but the desire of my heart is for is for something else. Which I feel like in a lot of ways is so much of a trap to desire something, something out there. You know, I call it this elusive carrot, like the Holy Grail, it's out there. You know, but then, but then on the other hand, like, why are we even doing this? If it's not... (laughs) <laughs> and I just had this thought go through my head because when I'm when I'm in it I I am I am not interrupted with things and I'm I'm able to just be with God the source of everything that is I can just sit in a quiet dark space and just be with it and that just being the point in and of itself is to practice just being in it. But I have to say along with this, is it, oh God, I just lost the, I just lost the thought again. Okay, this is what the point is. If, if do we lose credibility if we are transparent as as a leader 
And and like some people would say no, you know, like you got Brene Brown who like the power of vulnerability. You know, but but I'm not I'm not I'm not sure because like like <laughs> okay, if you're going into battle do you want your your the person in charge do you want that person saying like being transparent about their fear being transparent about their feelings of of incompetence in that moment no it's like you really want that that leader to lead they don't have time for it they don't have time to sit there and you know so i can see that they that the leaders are just leading you know and that always sharing their you know and there's just always going to be the critics. I mean, there were people who said that David Hawkins was a kook. That guy's just nothing but a kook. And you know what? He kind of sometimes presented that way. He he had this way about him where he would just he was just giggling all the time. Where he would just just start laughing. He would like say something and it would strike him as funny and he would just laugh. so (laughs) any and I never was able to find it again which makes me wonder now like maybe it wasn't even in his material but I, I could swear that I heard him say something about like it was about domestic violence and he was basically saying that both parties were were culpable because even though he hit her or vice versa that person did something to invoke the slap or the hit or whatever and i remember like re and it just like struck me really strangely i was like and you know, it's like I used to see that I used to be in preschool classrooms a lot. I would I would be watching young children. I had done so many observations of young children. I it was just um I just worked in early childhood for many, many years. And and I I was I would watch and they would. This is a, this is how it would go down. Okay, so you got this little Johnny is sitting there playing with a truck and then little Jane you know walks over and just grabs the truck you know and little Johnny like tries to hold on to the truck so there there's like this little tug of war that ensues and then Jane like takes the truck and is not going to give it back and so little Johnny, because he doesn't know what else to do, hits her. So he does. He smashes her over the head with something. <laughs> or just his hand. He just hits her. 
And then little Jane is sitting there, and just screaming. And then the teacher comes over, and Johnny is in big trouble. <laughs> I used to see this all the time. <laughs> the same scenario, like, with different characters. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and and so like in some ways what David Hawkins was saying was true and and you know and it is kind of true in a way like sometimes sometimes you know I had I had this friend who was in a a horrible relationship with a guy horrible the two of them should should move to opposite ends of the earth and never speak again. They are terrible together. Every single time I went out with her, like something came up about him. And I mean, we, there were times where I was out with her and she would do something and then we would get literally thrown out of the bar. (laughs) It was, it was just something else. Um, but the two of them were terrible, you know, and so what I started to see was it 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 was like this who could be the meanest? Who could be the meanest? Like like which one? And it was like these these like verbal daggers. Like like and they just like there was something in the act of just stabbing each other with the meanest, most horrible things. And, and I just, I was like, I just couldn't, it's like, I can't do this. I just can't like, that is not how I vibe. And I'm going to use that word that drives me crazy. I just don't, it's not my thing. Like I can't. And so I kind of understand what David Hawkins was saying. Okay. As a generality, but (laughs) I don't believe that it's always that way. I don't believe, you know, like, and the person may have said something, but the intentionality with which they said it, um, and then the outcome. So basically what I'm talking about is copability. Like, are the two people both equally copable in in the situation. Okay, so let's just talk about these two little children, which didn't even have the the amount of understanding to be culpable to begin with. But let's just say they were older children. So these are these are seven year olds, second graders. I worked in a second grade classroom. <clears throat> let's just say that that you know Johnny um, looks over and sees that guy, he needs a blue crayon and he doesn't have one. So he goes over to Jane's table and takes her blue crayon, you know, and, and she, she asks for it back and he says, no, I want the blue crayon and so sorry. And, you know, and then this fight ensues. Are are they equally culpable in in that in that argument? Like, is there always equal culpability? And I felt like Dr. Hawkins was basically saying yes. 
that somehow, and I, and I could be wrong, and maybe he was, I'm, I'm doing this sweeping generality, but I do not believe that people are, are always equally culpable in, in a domestic violence situation. If I happen to say something to somebody and it, like, and then I get a reaction and they wallop me, or they throw knives across the room. Um, <laughs> you know, I understood, I understood to some degree that what I was, what flew out of my mouth before I had the time to really think about it. So, so something comes in my, I th- comes out of my mouth before I even had the time to think about it. And then their reaction is a heightened reaction of almost rage. Are, is there equal culpability in that argument? So basically, what I am referring to is like an element of, of truth. Like, how do I, and, and, and I have talked about this many times, this idea of truth being a lot more elusive than we want to admit to. That, that something that is true, like when he wrote, you know, this book all on these, these different things and the stages of con- where it is on the level of consciousness, that that, that truth is not true in possibly in a millisecond moment later. And so, and so I, I just want to say that there is a human factor in it. And there's, there is this, it's subjective to to the mind of the person who is presenting the material and i don't know if it ever could not be and so and so we follow and we listen and we learn but in the end it is a vantage it is a it is through the lens of of the fallible. David Hawkins, while he was, you know, enlightened, I believe that he was enlightened. I I don't, you know, I don't argue that. I, I believe he was a great man, but was he infallible? And I wanted to think he was. But he was human. And, and he, and as great as his brain was, as great as he, he was, he, he wasn't infallible. <laughs> and just admitting to that, 
and not and not and on my part and my my friend in this conversation is like not holding anyone to this idea that they of of utter infallibility anyway <clears throat> so my my original um subject in this podcast had to do with and and I feel like I need to do yet another podcast about this but because I have not perfected the art of being able to come home and not have this element of crashing into like the hard fall on the floor from being in the heights Because here I have to function, I have to do things that not all the things that I have to do are things that I like really enjoy doing and, and I, and I, you know, we have duties. And so, and so there it is. And on that note, I'm going to end this podcast. I sure appreciate you listening. And I'll be back with other ideas. And that's a wrap.